Well, hey, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, excited about what the Lord has for us as we continue to worship through the preaching of the Word. Um, let me pray for us one more time, and then we'll get started this morning. Uh, Father, again, we thank you for the privilege of being here, and we ask for your grace and your presence this morning. Um, as Jesus prayed, God, uh, around 2,000 years ago, Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so sanctify us, God, make us holy, set us apart for you this morning. Uh, equip us to be proclaimers of the gospel of grace, uh, the gospel which is your power for salvation for everyone who believes. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would use this sermon this morning toward the end of uh, helping us and using us, God, to make disciples of all nations, beginning right here in Dodge County. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, uh, let me ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's where we'll be this morning. We've The last few weeks, we've walked through the Cottondale Catechism, which we recited this morning. We'll do that one more time. Whose are we? We are Christ. What do we do? We make Why do we do it? Because he is worthy. And so, we are Christ, so we make disciples because he is worthy. And so that, those very, very simple things, I think, get to the core reality of who we are and of what we're to do with our lives. You know, why do we exist? Why are we here? We are Christ, we make disciples because he is worthy. That's who we are, that's what we do, and that's why we do it. And I thought that as um, we focus and think about this, the primacy of disciple-making as a church, that we would look afresh at the core message, uh, you know, what it is that, what it is that we preach, um, how, kind of the posture that we carry as people who proclaim Christ, and the power of the message that we have. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, as we talk about we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Um, we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. I invite you to stand, if you're able and willing, in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Word of God. You may be seated. So we've been going through 1 Corinthians on Wednesday nights, if I've been mentioning so much. It has been so good. I don't know, you know, what you have going on on Wednesday night. It may be really important. That's between you and the Lord. But let me just tell you, we are having a great time on Wednesday nights, and it is so encouraging to talk about the Scripture and to talk and go through 1 Corinthians where, you know, they, they had a lot of issues, and Paul is not timid in addressing those issues, and it's very helpful and instructive, I think, as a church, and for us to think about as a church. So please come on Wednesdays. Now, in 
But we've been going through uh, 1 Corinthians, and in our discussion on 1 Corinthians, if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, right, Paul pretty much opens the book. I mean, he's, he's addressing a bunch of issues within the church, but the first issue he addresses, addresses is the issues of divisions within the church, particularly divisions, it would seem, over um, who people's favorite preachers are, who the most charismatic personality was among the different um, church leaders that have come through the church at Corinth. Okay, they they have divided themselves saying, well, you know, I'm with this guy or I'm with this guy. I'm with this guy. Peter, Paul is Cephas. Okay, Paul. All right. And and so there seems to be divisions among who, you know, uh, was the best preacher, the best speaker in their mind. Uh, Like many of those who inherited the Greek culture, the Corinthians, it seemed, were enamored with rhetorical prowess and moving speech. And in Paul's mind, they revealed how worldly they were when they started debating over who is the best or most eloquent preacher rather than realizing, and this is Paul's one of Paul's main points, rather than realizing that it is, in Christianity, it is the message and not the messenger that has any real significance. They were more enthralled with the externals, right? You know, some, you know, somebody's posture, somebody's, you know, the, the, the sense of authority and the, the, the power and wisdom and eloquence and speech that they carried. They were more enthralled with that rather than what the message was actually about. The Christian message is about, um, how Jesus laid down human power, human grandeur, human praise. And died the most humiliating death on a cross to save undeserving sinners. So in other words, how can you sit there and be enthralled with the, uh, you know, external appearance of these preachers? Okay. When the message that these preachers was preaching and the fundamental message of Christianity is whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so the inordinate esteem with which they were holding uh, one above another in this circumstance revealed their spiritual immaturity. And so in their hearts, they failed to grasp that true kingdom greatness, true kingdom greatness most often corresponds to weakness in this world, not esteem in the world's eyes, which is why Paul goes on to say that he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What we have to grasp about Christianity is that we have one message and that the message of Christianity is a message about a crucified Messiah, which is, which is the, the opposite of, <laughs> of human achievement, if you will. That, that the greater you want to be in this world, the greater you want to be in this world, the less you become in the next. The history books in heaven are not filled like ours are with stories of presidents and prime ministers and kings and pharaohs and generals. The history books in heaven will probably be filled with people whose names you've never heard of. Who silently, without, without a single word and without a second thought, denied themselves every day to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love their neighbor as themselves, to sacrifice earthly comforts and pleasures and security to make Christ known where he isn't. Those, those, the history books in heaven will be filled with those kinds of people. 
So we preach Christ crucified, a message that is intolerable to the world. Don't embrace yourself. Deny yourself. Don't follow your heart, Jesus said. Jesus never said, follow your heart. He said, follow me. Follow me. And Jesus, most of the time, many a time, he is going to conflict with the inclinations of our heart, the sinful inclinations of our heart. So the mantra of today is do you, but Jesus said, I came to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So you want to be great? You got to make yourself low. You want to lead? Start serving others. You want to make a name for yourself in heaven? Care little about what people think about you here. Love Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Spend and be spent for the kingdom of God till you got nothing left to spend and then got die and go be with Jesus. Who is your very great reward? So we have one message, and that is a message of a crucified Christ. And that, and if, and if at any point, like the Corinthians, if we begin to be enthralled and pursue human, a sense of human achievement or human greatness, we are denying the very message that we profess. The message of Christianity is repent and believe in a crucified Messiah, and you will be saved. Take, deny yourself, take up your cross. Follow him and you will obtain the only greatness that really matters. If anybody makes it to heaven and they get in the the place that Jesus has prepared for them, they're not going to be hanging up, you know, a first place little league, eight years old on their wall. It just it's just not going to matter. Super Bowl ring. It's just not going to matter. But you might have a plaque, led my grandchild to Christ. I prayed for these missionaries, and God blessed their work. I denied myself some earthly pleasures and comfort so I could give more to those who needed it. Those will be our plaques in heaven. And we'll receive the reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we preach Christ crucified. We have the, the proclamation. That's the first point. Is this is our proclamation is a crucified Messiah. And this is what we learn from the Apostle Paul. Is the, the core proclamation of Christianity is that of a crucified Messiah. Okay, so number one proclamation. Number two, the proclaimer. The proclaimer. I'm going to read this passage again, since it's not very long. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we learn something about the proclamation. And number two, we learn something about the proclaimer. We learn something about the proclaimer. So 
Paul says, now Paul's an apostle and he's talking about the, the message and the preaching, but his, his example applies to all of us because as Christians, we all carry the message of Jesus. We all carry the mission of bearing the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. In in 1964, a Canadian communication theorist by the name of Marshall McLuhan published a book called Understanding Media. Okay, and the first chapter in that book had a title which became one of the most uh, well-known marketing and media catchphrases of the 20th century. And the name of that chapter was The Medium is the Message. The Medium is the Message. Now, I'm not a communication theorist per se, but I do speak for a living. And for our purposes, what we can say is that a message demands a certain kind of medium. That is, a certain message demands a certain kind of messenger. And I think, so, I think that's what we see from Paul in this passage. Paul said, I didn't come preaching to you with lofty speech or wisdom. Okay? I didn't come trying to impress you with how erudite I was, how learned I was, how eloquent I was. Because if I came in that manner, the medium, the medium of rhetorical prowess could actually distort the message of weakness and lowliness. And so Paul wasn't concerned with just what he preached. He was concerned with how he preached because he recognized that preaching it in a certain way could actually distort, contort the message that he proclaimed. How we preach and how we speak speaks volumes about the significance of what we are saying. And so in Paul's context, a perfectly polished preacher, according to Greek rhetorical standards, all right, might have won their admiration, right? Might have got them saying, Oh my gosh, have you heard Paul speak? He's so awesome. The only problem is with that, is that they would be admiring Paul and not Jesus. So Paul came and he said that he came in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, it's not 100% clear exactly what Paul meant by that, weakness and fear and much trembling. And what kind of weaknesses and fears and tremblings he exactly was referring to. But I do think there are some reasonable applications for us in that. And first is that when we tell others about Christ, we tell them not out of strength, but out of weakness. When we speak to people about Jesus, we tell them out of strength, not, I mean, we tell them out of weakness, not out of strength. And what do I, what do I mean by that? Now, to be clear, the gospel is always going to be offensive if you're, if you're, if you're explaining it correctly. Because the gospel is repent and believe on Jesus, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent from your sins. And so you're essentially telling people that they're sinners and that's offensive to most people. But at the same time, we have to be careful and we have to recognize that when we preach, when we share the gospel, we cannot do it with an air of arrogance. Because when we share Christ, we remember that if it was not for the grace of God, we would be as lost as anybody else. We come knowing that we are, we ourselves are saved by the sheer grace and mercy of God who called us by his gospel and his spirit out of darkness into the marvelous light. 
As one preacher put it, and I love this image, he says, we're just beggars trying to tell other beggars where we found bread. That's, that's what we do. We, we, we not, it's not like we were smart enough, smarter than other people, right? So that we got it when they didn't. It's the grace of God that has reached out to us. And so we, we, we tell others about Jesus, not out of strength, but out of weakness. We tell others about Jesus with fear and trembling. Also, because we know how high the stakes are. Right? When you're, when you're on the edge of a cliff, you might have some fear and trembling. I know I would, cause I hate heights. <laughs> the reason you're fearing and trembling, because you know how high the stakes are if you slip. The reason why we preach the gospel and we share Christ with others with fear and trembling is because we know how high the stakes are. If the gospel is rejected. Now we have no power to make someone believe. But at the same time we also know that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And God can do what we can't. God can persuade where we cannot. So we tell others with fear and trembling. Praying and pleading with God that he would turn on the lights. Lift the veil. Take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. Pour out the Spirit upon them to give them the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We can't make them see that, but God can make them see that. And we preach and we share the gospel with fear and trembling, knowing out of fear that if someone rejects the message, they will condemn themselves. And so we we feel the weight of that when we speak. And I feel like, and in my mind, I just think, this is, this is what's missing because we don't appropriately feel the stakes of what we're talking about. If we felt the weight and the gravity of what we were talking about when we shared Jesus with others, we would share it with a lot more fear and trembling. And when we told other people with a lot more fear and trembling, that would communicate to the other people, man, this person really believes what they're talking about. Because they really care about me. Because they're not just trying to give me some sales pitch and walk out the door. But they are, they are, they're in fear for my soul. And maybe I need to listen to what they have to say. We should feel the weight of that when we speak. We have to be walking in the spirit. It's not just, you, you, let me tell you something. You never, unless, If you're just going about your day, if you're not walking in the Holy Spirit, you're just not going to think, I should share Jesus with that person. It's just not, you're just not going to think about it. We got to be walking in the Spirit, being aware of the eternal realities around us. And then that's when that comes to mind. Then we start looking at people and seeing their souls. And we feel the weight of it when we speak that someone would count the fleeting things of this world over the eternal riches that God offers us in Jesus Christ. So we, we tell others not out of strength but out of weakness and we tear the, tell them with fear and trembling because we know how high the stakes are. But we also speak with power as those who are filled by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I think Paul was getting at when he, in verse 4 he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, it's possible that Paul was referring to miracles that he had done, and that's probably part of what he means. But I think for our purposes, there's also clear teaching in the Bible that we can speak in such a way that demonstrates that we're speaking by a power that's not our own. There's a way that we can speak where it becomes evident that the manner in which and the way in which we're speaking comes not from us, but from another. For example, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, you remember this story. Peter healed the lame beggar outside the beautiful gate of the temple. Now, everybody knew this beggar because he had been there for years and years, and they recognized him and had given him alms. And so Peter looks at him and he says, it says, seeing that he had the faith to be healed, it says, your silver and gold I have none, but such as I have give to you, rise and be healed. And he goes and starts leaping and dancing, and it causes, rightly, a ruckus in the temple. And so Peter seizes the opportunity to preach the gospel, which gets to the ears of the religious leaders who call them and uh, uh, try to rebuke them. But in Acts 4, verse 8, when Peter was speaking to the leaders, this is what it says. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people of the elders. So Peter would go on to speak very boldly. So, so remember, this is Peter who not too long before this denied Jesus three times. Okay, And now you have Peter rebuking the most powerful men in Israel saying we have to obey God rather than men. So what happened? What happened between Caiaphas' house, Peter, and rebuking the elders, Peter? What happened? The Holy Spirit. It's not that... It's not, it's not that Peter, you know, was some just kind of great, courageous, brave man. It's that the Holy Spirit of God was upon him. And the leader's response is instructive in Acts 4.13. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. When you've been with Jesus, people will know it. When you've been with Jesus, you're going to speak and act and talk in different ways than you would if you hadn't been with Jesus. When you're walking moment by moment with the Lord and you're seeking and expecting opportunities to proclaim his name, then when the time comes, the spirit will be there to fill you and to empower you to speak in a way that otherwise you wouldn't do. And my and one of, my, one of the points I just want to make here is that we too easily excuse ourselves because we say, well, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm just kind of introverted. Hey, I'm introverted. You, you, some of y'all don't believe that. I'm introverted. <laughs> it means it means I would be happy to sit. I would be happy to just walk alone by myself for hours, and it wouldn't bother me one second. I don't need another person around. 
<laughs> I mean, that wouldn't bother me. It, 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 it is a little emotionally draining if I'm around a lot of people for a long time. I, got, I need a break from that after a while. I'm introverted. Lots of people are like that. But my point is, is that sometimes we'll use things like that as an excuse for us not to do things that we're commanded to do. When the whole point is, is like God, God is not limited by your personality. God is not limited by your weakness, by our weakness. God is not limited by this sense. Well, I just can't do that. That's for other people to do that. Peter denied Jesus and then he rebuked the elders because it wasn't Peter. It was the Holy Spirit. So unless you want to say, I don't have the Holy Spirit. Then you should say, I can share Christ with others. I can speak boldly about Jesus because it's not me. It's the spirit that's in me. It's not us. It's the spirit that's in us. That matters. That makes the difference. Right. It is it. People should look at us and say, look at that just uneducated common person you know everywhere I go if I go outside the state people look at me kind of funny because I look kind of Asian but I I talk like I'm from the rural south because I am (laughs) I was raised in a town smaller than Eastman and I talk funny to them but that's the whole point it doesn't matter if people think we're uneducated common people if we share with them about Jesus and they can tell that we've been with him And that the Spirit of God is upon us. And they'll know. Because the power isn't in us, it's in God and His message. The medium, you know, I don't know if I totally agree with Marshall McLuhan. The medium isn't the message, but it is part of the message. The message, and the message does demand a certain kind of messenger. People who are holy and humble and trembling and fearful with the gravity of the message entrusted to them. But also bold, knowing That it's through this message that God is pleased to save. And so that brings us to our last point here. The proclamation, the proclaimer. And finally, the power. The power. Again, in in 4 and 5, it says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, and again, I I just think that this is so instructive for us because, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Earlier in the chapter, in chapter 1, in verse 18, which we read earlier this morning at the beginning of the service, Paul said, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in verse 22, it says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and fall into Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And so know what Paul is saying here. The word of the cross... That's the gospel message. Christ lived. Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He rose again. He's coming back one day. It's not a complicated message. The word of the cross, Paul says, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So in other words, humanly speaking, it makes zero sense. Right? 
all of human nature, no matter who you are, where you are, where you've been born, the, the, the innate sinful inclination of our heart is to, is to strive after what we think will make us happy, even if it's at the expense of others, do what's best for me, and try to get as most satisfaction and happiness out of this life that I can. That's just, that's human nature. Try to be great. Try to have other people like you. Worry about, try, care about what place and what, what's your status and what place you find in the world. They, from all generations, all cultures, this has been, this is what people care about. But the word of the cross is folly to that mindset because Jesus is essentially saying you need to, you need to intentionally do the very thing you don't want to happen to you. Become little. Don't make a big deal. Deny yourself and serve me. It's a stumbling block to Jews. It's foolishness to Gentiles. But, Paul says, to those who are called, it is the power and wisdom of God. So although the gospel is foolishness, and and, and it really is, You know, I was, I was talking one of our outings. I don't know. He might, for all I know, the guy I talked to, he might be listening to the sermon. If you are, brother, I just say I love you. I hope you come to Jesus. But I shared the gospel with him, and he wasn't ready to make a decision for Christ. And I mean, you can't force that decision, but I don't know. And I don't know. I, could, I don't know what was keeping him back. But sometimes when you tell people about Jesus in their mind, Lots of times, there's something in their life. And whatever that thing is, they, they can't, they just, in their minds, they just say, I can't give this up. And, and I, you gotta give those people credit. At least they know that they understand that following Jesus means that's gotta go. So they understand that. But a lot of people, there's just something, whatever it is at that point in their life, and we've all been there, right? We've all been there. Whatever it is at that point in our life, there's something that we just feel like, I can't give that up. Because deep down we think, if I lose that, if I lose that, I'm not going to be happy. If I have to give that up, giving that up is going to be worse than the alternative. It's foolishness, right? It's foolishness. When people deny yourself, it's foolishness. But what does Paul say? Paul says, yes, it is foolishness, but there is one crucial factor that we can never forget. And that is that out there, Jews and Gentiles, even though generally speaking, it is foolishness. However, there are those out there, Paul says, who are called. That's what he says. But to those who are called. There are those who are called who when they hear the gospel, when they hear the gospel message proclaimed by you to them, God's spirit is going to move on them in such a way that at that moment, the gospel will no longer be foolishness to them, but it will to them become the power and wisdom of God. Because we don't save people, God does. And it's the, and, and it's, but He works through His Word to save. 
That's the whole point, right? Christ, the word of the cross, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The power is not in the messenger. It's in the message. So that means it really means that the pressure is off. Because someone's salvation isn't going to be dependent on whether you know all the answers. It's not going to be dependent whether you have a PhD in apologetics or world history or philosophy. It's not going to be dependent whether you can, you know, uh, answer all these questions or learn Greek and Hebrew. It, it, it does. You preach the gospel of that God has sent his son into the world to live and to die and to rise again and to come back one day so that we can be forgiven of our sins. You preach the message. And yes, for lots of people, to them it will not make sense, but there will be some who hear it. And when the word, as the words are exiting your mouth and entering their ear canal, the Spirit of God will come upon them. And what never made sense to them before will all of a sudden hit their heart like a ton of bricks. And at that moment, Christ to them, far from being foolishness, will be the power and wisdom of God. So all the pressure's off. You just got to tell people about Jesus. In Acts chapter 18, the Lord said to Paul in verse 9, it says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. What, what's that saying? Well, I think it's saying this. God had people who he was going to save. How was he going to save them? Through Paul speaking and not being silent. So go on speaking, Paul. Go on. Don't be silent, Paul, because I got people in this city that I'm going to save. So we cannot forget that the power is not in the messenger. It's in the message. We proclaim the gospel. We speak the truth in love. We cannot let insecurity and fear keep us from obedience because God is not limited by our weaknesses. We're just beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. Jesus is the bread of life and he'll give life to whoever comes to him through faith. And so all we got to do is to preach the message. All we got to do is to share Jesus. All we got to do is to look people in the eye and love them enough to say, can I tell you how you can be forgiven of your sins through Jesus Christ? It's important to me. It's the most important thing in the world, and I'd like to share it with you. And so we go on preaching, and we go on knocking the doors. Why? Why? Because God has many people in Dodge County. I was asking around this week, and based off the best guesstimates that I could figure out, Maybe around three, maybe 3,500, 3,500 people go to church with any regularity in Dodge County. There's 20,000 people in Dodge County. That means that on any given Sunday, 
85% or more of the people in rural South Georgia are at the house. Not worshiping Jesus. That means that regardless of whether we think we live in the Bible Belt or not, there's a lot of people here who are going to die and go to hell on our watch. And we got to do something about it. And so I don't think it would be if God lifted his peaky finger, it would be a small thing for him to do. For him to use our church and other churches in Dodge County to not rest until we knew that every household in Dodge County had at least one person tell them one plain, clear time how they could know Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't stop till we've done that. And in fact, if we've done that, then we just need to start over. Because by the time we get there, New people have come in. People need to hear about Jesus. You know, <clears throat> and, and that's the thing. In, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, he goes on to talk about sowing and planting and watering. Some, some sow, some, some, some plant, some water. God gives the growth. So God does it all. But he uses us, right? He uses us. And so we've got to preach the message. You know, in my patio, it's a brick patio. It's really old. All the mortar's going out. And the, the, um, I don't, I do absolutely nothing. And the weeds grow in the cracks. I do nothing. And I, I can't keep up with keeping the weeds out the cracks. If you sow enough seed, one somewhere is going to stick. If you put out enough, if those weeds can put out enough of their spores or whatever they're doing to find a tiny crack somewhere where the next day you wake up the next morning and there's a sprout coming out, if you share the gospel enough, God's going to use you to save somebody. It can't not happen. It's going to happen. Because God has people in this city. And because the power is not in the messenger, it's in the message. So what do we see? The proclamation, the proclaimer, the power. So as we think about the future, and think about the future for this church, think about our lives, think about why we exist and why we're here. You know, we go out on uh, this afternoon, 3.30, it's in your bulletin. And go tell people about Jesus. Yes, there's probably a million things you would think you'd rather do on a Sunday afternoon. And you would think that until you share Jesus with somebody. And then after you share Jesus with somebody, you think, that was the best thing I could have done this afternoon. In the, in the store, at work, wherever God has placed you, the power's in the message and not in the messenger. So let's make disciples because we are Christ and because he is worthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of belonging to you. 
the privilege of building your kingdom, the privilege of knowing that there is no one worthy like you. And so, Lord Jesus, Lord, as we look, I pray that by faith, by your spirit, you would lift up our eyes like Jesus said. Jesus said to do this, lift up our eyes and see. See out there, Lord, the thousands and thousands of people just miles from our homes who don't know you, who need you, who could be radically changed by just an encounter with King Jesus. And Lord, no, not everyone will believe, but some will. And God... And God, we don't want that blood in our hands. And so I pray that you would help us and that you would use us to just love people enough to tell them the truth. And as we do, God, I know you're going to save. And I know, I know, Lord, that you're just going to snatch people out of darkness, snatch people out of darkness and bring them to the marvelous light. I know you're going to do it. And so I give you thanks in advance, God, for what you're going to do in these coming weeks and months and years as we chase after you to make your name great here in Dodge County. Lord, you are worthy, and we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.